you who gave up an hour of sleep last night, I ask you to please not reclaim it at this time. <laughs> it's always my desire when it is my turn to be in the pulpit <clears throat> to make certain that I'm not bringing any human teaching or something that would just make a good sermon. And as always has been my custom this past week, I began to cry out, Oh God, is there any word from the Lord? For only He knows who will be present on Sunday morning. Only He knows the need of the various hearts. And so it is important that we bring the word that He has given had an unusual experience. <clears throat> Tuesday evening, I can't even remember where or how it happened or from whom, but I heard a passing mention of the Beatitudes. And then Tuesday night, I prayed, and in my, I, I, I dreamt, and in my dream, I dreamt about the Beatitudes over and over again. I woke up Wednesday morning, <laughs> and the Beatitudes were going over and over in my mind. I knew that was God's answer. The word from the Lord today is the Beatitudes. The longest recorded sermon of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's also briefly presented in Luke 6 and Mark 3. And I look back over the years, thinking back over the years, how many times I've preached a sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. And yet it occurred to me, I have never preached a sermon from the Beatitudes. I've always begun with the Lord's Prayer and gone from that point on. Why? I don't know. It's just been that way. But today I believe the word of the Lord relates to the Beatitudes. Where do we get the word Beatitude? Well, in 382, Pope Damascus commissioned Jerome to translate the Bible into a common form of Latin. Over the years, the Bible had been translated into Latin, what we now call the Old Latin, but it was a very formal Latin. And Pope Damascus desired that the people of the church have a form of Latin in their common language that they could understand and read it with ease. And so Jerome undertook that commission, but the Pope said, just do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Jerome went further than that. He learned Hebrew, he learned Greek, and translated almost the entire Bible into the common language of the people of his day. The word vulgate means common. And so the vulgate version is the common Latin language spoken in the late 4th century. The difference between that and the old one is like the difference between the King James and the NIV. Different, same language, but different colloquialisms in them. So that's where we get the word beatitude because the Greek word that begins the 
each of these, which you say blessed is, blessed is. That particular word, makarios, he rendered with beate, which means blessed in Latin. And so that's where we get the term beatitude from Jerome in the Vulgate Bible in 382. This is a wonderful passage of God's word. Now, the, the word makarios sometimes is rendered blessed. And you notice some of your newer versions will render it happy, which is right. <laughs> both are right because the word is used in both ways. But to me, it seems that blessed is more appropriate here because the happiness that anyone might have is the result of the blessing that is prescribed in these verses. So could you imagine not Jim Garrett, but Jesus being in the pulpit this morning and hear him say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice. Be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. So persecuted the prophets before you. You want to be blessed? <laughs> Jesus said, here's how. Now it's important for us to remember the axiom that every verse of scripture must be understood in the light of all of Scripture in that context. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing how citizens of the kingdom are to live and to conduct themselves. And so this sermon and these blessings are directed to those who are a part of the kingdom of heaven. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The word uh, born again really is born from above. The Greek, the, unless you're born from above, not of the will of man nor of blood, as John begins his gospel. Born from above. And then he said, unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he will not have the kingdom of heaven. The water and the Spirit, speaking of immersion and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So these beatitudes are spoken to those who are already in the kingdom of God. Let me paint the scene for you. 
For more than a year, Jesus had been traveling, speaking in synagogues, preaching, casting out demons, healing the sick, and crowds began to come to him from all over, from the south around Jerusalem, from across the Jordan River in the Decapolis, from Samaria, from Syria, from all of these different regions, his fame spread abroad, and great multitudes came and began following him from place to place. In the second year of his ministry, he was in Galilee, And as he came to the foot of a mountain, he ascended to a plateau and looked out at the crowd. Now, the crowd was composed of many, many people who were wanting something from him, a cure or some kind of blessing, demon deliverance, whatever. They were wanting something, but also in the crowd, there were some who wanted to be taught by him, disciples. The word that we translate disciple is the Greek word mathetes. It means a learner. There's a great difference between a student and a learner. And so as Jesus looked at this crowd, he called out of that crowd those who were the mathetes, those who really wanted to learn from him and of him. They joined him on that plateau. And then he ascended the mountain all by himself. The next day, he was going to do the most important thing he had ever done before the cross to bring about the kingdom of God. And the next morning, after that time of prayer, seeking the face of the Father, he came back to that plateau. And from the disciples, we don't know how many there were, he called out 12 to be his apostles. You know their names, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Matthew, Nathaniel, so on and so on. And then after this, he brought forth the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit immediately brings to mind the parable of Jesus and the publican. Remember, Jesus described the scene in which two men went down to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican or a tax collector. And the publican was over to one side, standing, the Pharisee was here. The Pharisee noticed Jesus said he began praying to himself. (laughs) He began praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you I'm not a swindler. I'm not a a just person. I'm not an adulterer. I, I fast twice a week. I tithe of everything that belongs to me. Almost saying, God, you're fortunate to have me. But a distance away stood the publican who did not even lift his head but beat his breast and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That first man went away 
receiving nothing from God. The second man, oh God, be merciful to me, was justified. The poor in spirit, those who are not poor in spirit think a lot of themselves. I, here's what one wealthy politician said in 2014. I'm, and he was talking about his great philanthropic efforts and how the resistance he'd done against the NRA and so on. And here's what he said. I'm telling you, if there is a God, notice that first, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Listen, that man's in for a surprise. A big surprise. What should our response be to somebody like that? Sorrow. Sorrow. He's going to go to hell because he is a man who thinks so highly of himself. He has earned his way into heaven. What a contrast between that man and the centurion who came to Jesus one day. My, my servant is sick. Would you heal him? And Jesus prepared to go to the centurion's house, but the centurion said, Oh, no, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof. <laughs> Poor in spirit, low view of himself, high view of God. Paul wrote to the Romans, Do not be haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly, but do not be wise in your own estimation amazing grace <laughs> how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost now I'm found was blind but now I see indeed for those who are poor in the spirit Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, the God of all comfort. Jesus said, I'll be with you always. <laughs> Carl Eason's favorite verse, Hebrews thirteen five. he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're around Carl and he's praying, you're going to hear that verse. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some years ago, George Jones wrote a song, not the George Jones, he used to be a TCF, but the singer. The Lonesome Valley. You have to walk the Lonesome Valley. You have to walk it all alone. <laughs> No one else can walk it for you. You have to walk it all alone. You know, that's a lie. That's a big lie. <laughs> I've spoken before of this, but I speak it again because it's so relevant. 
one of my wife's hospitalizations for many, many weeks, and I was with her 24 hours a day. Nurses kept making mistakes, other mistakes. One, you know, out of her abdomen were tubes, and one thing at, well, on the end of one was what's called a J pouch. J pouch, you compress it, and as it slowly expands, it would drain the fluids from her abdomen. But the doctor said her tissues are so fragile, we mustn't depress the J pouch. Let it just drain naturally. And so I can well recall 2 o'clock in the morning, a nurse coming in to drain the J-pouch, and I'd say, remember, don't compress the J-pouch. And she would compress it, and I would have to redo it. Pills left on the table that should have been given, and so I began to keep a log. I logged all the medication. I began to be the one who really cared for her. Three o'clock in the morning, worn out, grieving. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And I began to think the green pastures mean nothing. Still water means nothing. And this truth became real to me as I'd never known it before. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The presence of God, the presence of God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you, First Peter 5, 7. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. I tell you, that's true. I have and am experiencing that. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Now, the Greek term here translated meat is prous, sometimes translated gentle. But the idea behind it is strength that is under control. Illustrated often by a powerful horse you see in the field, harnessed, pulling a plow, powerful animal, but that power is harnessed. It is under control. The Septuagint describes Moses as the meekest man in all the earth. Here's the scene. Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, became somewhat jealous of Moses. And it seems they were kind of looking for some way to bring him down. You know, the only way you can elevate some people is they have to bring somebody else down. And Moses had married a Cushite woman, so they started to make accusations against that. And they said, you know, God's spoken through us and to us as much as he has from Moses. Book of Numbers records this, and it said, God heard them. <laughs> and then he gave them a very strong rebuke. I've spoken to others this way, but to Moses I speak, Fani u Fani, 
face to face. And then the scripture says, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. Here was this man who had actually seen God to the degree a person can see his glory and still live. A man that God had anointed in so many ways, and yet he was not a man who sought to dominate, but to be obedient to the king. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Do you ever think about this in a way God's meek? As he looks down at humanity that he made in his image, and as we saw in the Sunday night seminar, the greatest motivation for his doing this because he desires to have in eternity those made in his image with whom he will abide forever. But humanity keeps shaking its fist in God's face. Why hasn't he just said, that's it, I'm smashing a whole bunch of you? <laughs> but he has restrained it. And as Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In a way, God himself models meekness. And scripture so many, many, many places urges us to manifest that particular trait. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. You know, this is really a puzzling one. What does it mean, hunger and thirst for righteousness? By the way, Luke, as he quoted in Luke 6, doesn't have thirst. He just says, hunger shall be filled. You notice some of your modern versions now say shall be satisfied. That's because, well, you fill up with your hunger, but if you're thirsty, you take a drink. Not necessarily fill up, but anyway. What does that mean? Whenever I find difficulty in understanding a verse and I notice how different peoples are rendering it, I have on my shelf at home a 27-volume set the ancient commentary on scripture. This contains the writings of the early church fathers on every verse of the Bible. And so I went to this verse. How did they understand that? I found them to have the very same diversity that we encounter today in people's explanation. Some said, well, that means that those who are hungering, they live in a society that is filled with corruptness and unjustness, and they're hungry and thirsty to live in a culture where justice and righteousness prevails. Well, that will be fulfilled, ultimately won't it? Because Peter tells us that in the days at the end of time, Heavens and earth will be melted, and there will be a new heaven and earth in which dwelleth righteousness. That's a promise. Others say, but now, really, righteousness, hungering after righteousness, means you're hungering after Jesus. Matter of fact, Scripture calls God, God our righteousness. And that's what it's all about, hungering after Christ. And there are some who say, well, what it really is talking about is the inner condition. They're hungry and thirsty that within themselves they would truly be righteous. 
Well, I don't know which of those it means. <laughs> but I know this, God's promise is faithful. If you're hungry for that, you're going to be filled. If you're thirsty for it, you'll be satisfied. God's blessings are sure. Paul gave this promise in Romans concerning he who foreknew. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren, and be not conformed to this churl, world would be transformed by the renewing your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect of course that speaks of the inner perfection doesn't it but whatever it is whatever that righteousness being craved if we really crave it the day will come when we'll be satisfied blessed are the merciful they shall obtain mercy. Very little needs to be said about that. Remember the model prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And later, if you don't forgive them, God won't forgive you. That's a startling statement, isn't it? If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Is Jesus referring to those that he spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, it has been written, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, any man who lusts after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Is that what he's talking about? Perhaps. But I wonder about this as he's talking about motive. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> if you're doing something good, why are you doing it? Are you doing it to make yourself feel good about yourself? Are you doing it so others will see it and praise you and honor you? Or are you doing it because you love that person for whom you're doing good? And you love the God who loves them and loves them through you. I don't know about you, but one of the most challenging things for me as I sit before God in prayer is to have accurate discernment of my motives. Please, God, show me where something just isn't right. And by your Holy Spirit, adjust that. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Notice called sons of God. In other words, almost your reputation in the world is that. We're blessed to have you around. Pretty evident, isn't it, that children, if they have a father in the home a loving father, manifest often the traits of that father. And our father is a God of peace. <laughs> a God of peace. Remember Jesus, the last thing he said in his closing sermon recorded in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, 
neither let it be afraid. Peace with God, but peacemakers in the world. Don't we need something like that today? Have you ever imagined our nation could be as divided as it is? People can't just disagree, but we have to attack each other. How horrible. How horrible. Is it possible for that to ever change? The only way it can is if we have God-given peacemakers in places of power who will do their best, guided by God, to bring out that peace. And notice they shall be called the children of God, not by God, but it's almost implying that's their reputation. Oh, yes. This one is reflecting his father. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. We recently have spoken on the fact that that persecution is getting stronger and deeper and more widespread. Let us not compromise. Let us not be afraid of offending people when we speak the truth. Pay the price. There's a reward for it. My brother and my sister, we hear a lot of preaching on television about getting blessed. Well, Jesus said, here are eight of them. <laughs> eight blessings. Here's how to receive them. By the Holy Spirit, let us endeavor to reflect each of these, each of these beatitudes, and be pleasing to God. Praise His name.